This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. I know I say that every week, but her name is Sherilyn Shackle, probably one of the most influential and well-connected business leaders around today. She is the founder and global CEO of the Marketing Academy, who identify and develop exceptional talent in the field of marketing, media, and advertising. Their coaches and sponsors are only leading CEOs, CMOs, marketing directors, and agency heads of some of the biggest companies around today. You may have heard of one or two of their sponsors, Salesforce, KFC, Accenture, Google, Facebook, just go down the list of some of the biggest companies around. We talk about how Sherilyn convinced a global network of leaders to actually give up their time for free to build this network of future leaders of our industry. She's incredibly forthright and straightforward about the damaging culture within agencies, what actually causes it in the first place and actually how to fix it. We discuss the lack of diversity in our industry, which she's super passionate about. We discuss all sorts of fascinating things around how she learned about marketing and the world of agencies from the back of a napkin to setting up the Marketing Academy in the first place and the challenges that have come with that. If you are interested in anything to do with what it's like to have a network of some of the most influential business leaders in your WhatsApp connections, then this is the podcast for you. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Sherilyn Shackle. Sherilyn Shackle is the founder and global CEO of the Marketing Academy, a unique not-for-profit dedicated to inspiring and developing talented stars from emerging leaders to CMOs to become the leaders, brand directors, and CEOs of tomorrow. The Marketing Academy programs are highly selective, but totally free of charge. You may have heard of one or two of their sponsors, Salesforce, Facebook, Mars, KFC, Google, Accenture, just go down the list. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Sherilyn Shackle, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Delighted and honoured to be on. Super excited that you've decided to join us. I'm a huge fan of your history and background and your career and everything that you've built with the Marketing Academy in fact, my fiance Sharice Harris, is a 2020 scholar, and every day she comes back telling me about the amazing experiences that she's had at the Marketing Academy, the amazing coaches and mentors and the people that she's met and the experiences, the life-changing experiences that she's had. So I'm really excited to get into all of that. We can take this conversation in many different ways, from agency culture, diversity, and how you convince the number of global marketing leaders to give up their time and help you build what is the Marketing Academy. So you started your career in the recruitment industry in 1989 and then went on to run Highfield Human Solutions for 20 years, an executive search and, and talent management company. Tell us how you go from that life of the fast-paced uh, executive search and recruitment life to the life and career that you have today. <laughs> Well, oh, um, so I actually fell into recruitment, right? I never, I never actively decided that I was going to be a recruiter. I, I was born into a family of shopkeepers and left school at 16 and worked in the family business. And then a little bit later in my early 20s, I thought I needed to get a bit serious. And I remember being in a pub one night looking for a job and a, and a guy said, um, 
I think you should get into recruitment. And I said, really? I didn't even know what it was. I'd only ever been in retail. And he said, yeah, yeah, I think you'd be really good at it. And I go, what do you need to be good at to be in recruitment? And he said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I thought, oh, fab. that's the career for me then. And so I'm qualified. It, yeah, I'm, I'm totally unqualified. I'm probably unemployable. And if they give me a job in recruitment, then great. And they did. And um, so I was about 24, I suppose, when I started out. So that was 30 odd years ago. And then... Um, and then I worked my way up. Uh, I was always quite ambitious. You know, my mum always told me that I could do anything. She she was a fantastic, awesome role model and just told me that I could rule the world if I wanted to. And I kind of believed her. I had no reason why not to. Sure. And so I was quite ambitious and built my way up. And then I bought, I bought the company I was running. So I did an MBO and bought the company. Um, and that was the start of my full career as an executive search consultant. But if I'm really honest with you, Nathan, I never, ever loved the industry. I didn't actually love my job. Mm. I was really good at it and I was successful making money at it, but I didn't like the industry at all. And I, for a long time, that was kind of pulling at my soul a bit. And then when I was in my early 40s, and to all extents and purposes, living a very successful life, if you were outside of my life looking in, I went through quite life-changing illness. Well, I went through an illness that changed my life and it nearly killed me. And I decided that I needed to live very differently. And I wanted to kind of fill my life with joy. And being a headhunter wasn't doing that. So I went through a couple of years of really evaluating what it was that set my soul on fire. And, and it wasn't being a headhunter. And I decided that my real passion was about developing talent and I was on the board of a leadership development talent, uh, a leadership development company that's involved in the marketing academy even now. And I was on their board and everything I did with them, I totally loved. And it kind of ignited this flame about developing fantastic leadership capability. And I chose that it would be in marketing, media and advertising because it's always been my belief that marketing, media and advertising can change the world and can have an influence over every citizen on the planet and therefore was worthy of real investment from a talent perspective. And I wanted to create something that was not commercial. That was a really big driver for me. I wanted to do something that was for good, that was much more philanthropic and I wanted to find a way to harness all of the kind of movers and shakers and all of the amazing leadership capability around the world and harness them into something whereby they could pay back or pay forward their knowledge. And about two years, maybe just on the third year after I was ill, we launched the Marketing Academy um, and, I, and I never looked back. So that's how it came about. That's a fascinating story. So... Tell us, what have you learned about what it takes to become a fantastic leader? I, I know that you're super invested in, in your own personal development and the personal development of all of the cohort members. They read a lot of books. They speak to a lot of fantastic coaches and mentors who, in their own right, are fantastic leaders. What have you learned from your time running the Marketing Academy about what it takes to become a world-class leader? Well, you need to go on a learning journey is what you really need to do. You know, I think everybody is born a leader, right? Everybody. You are a leader already if you have influence over anybody in your life. So what leadership isn't to us is a position of authority uh, or a position of power or a job title that, you know, starts with chief and ends with director. It's not about 
the number of people that you manage directly on a day-to-day basis. That's not leadership to us, that's management. What leadership is, is about inspiring, enabling, empowering and influencing people to be the best that they can possibly be. That's what leadership is. And so for, for people to really move into their best self from a leadership perspective, they need to understand that first and foremost. And then they need to, to you know, really understand what it is that makes leaders, the best leaders, inspirational and empowering and, you know, creating an environment where people want to follow or want to learn or want to develop. And that's what great leadership is. And that's about, you know, living your authentic self, being your authentic self. That's about em- empathy. It's about caring about others, putting others first. Leadership isn't about you. It's about everyone else. So ensuring that the people around you are given the best of yourself, understanding that everything you say and everything you do will have an impact on somebody else. So be fully aware of what that means and have a lens that means that you give rather than seek to get. You know, we're all kind of hardwired, aren't we, to want to get stuff, you know, want to in every context, you know, want to get our partners to love us more, uh, want to get our bosses to give us a pay rise, want to get our teams to work harder, want to get our clients to give us more business, want to get our suppliers working harder for us. Great leaders think about what they give, not what they get. Hmm. So great leadership is about what can I give to my partner so that my partner knows how much I love them? What do I give to my boss to enable him to do his or her job easier? You know, what do I give to my clients to make sure that their businesses are rocking? How do I support my suppliers to make sure that they're doing the best they can possibly be? That's what leadership is about. And, and that, for me, is the difference between sort of managing and, and leading, is creating an environment where other people can thrive. Just before we go on to talk about the Marketing Academy in a bit more detail, you said that you went on this learning journey for about three years. I went on a similar journey myself, actually, after a really bad breakup. What were the main things that you learned on that journey about yourself? What were the biggest revelations, either from books or mentors or, I don't know, just experiences that you had? What were the big aha moments that you experienced over that kind of three-year learning journey? That material wealth was not something to aspire to. (laughs) Uh, That was a bit of a shocker, actually, because I'd always believed that, you know, my career was, I was driving my career in order to get a bigger house, go on better holidays, get nicer cars, put my kids in private school, all of that stuff. And actually, it was the kind of relentless pursuit of that, I think, that nearly killed me. And I realised after my illness, which was a quite a literal come to Jesus moment, was, was none of that's important. You know, what is important is that you're living a life full of joy. What's important is that you are completely passionate about everything that you're doing in your life. You know, what's important is the depth of the relationships around you and the time that you free up to spend with them. That's what's important. You know, when when I when I told my husband that I was going to be launching a not-for-profit organization, you know, I kind of said, we're never going to be rich again. You know, we're never going to be rich. <laughs> and and um, he, he, he's, he's always, he's a house husband, right? He's supported every single thing I've ever done. And I'd always been the breadwinner. And so after I picked him off, up, the, up off the floor, <laughs> he said, you know, well, how, how many rooms do we need in a house? You know, why do we need two cars? You know, sure. I'd be quite happy sitting on Bournemouth Beach with you. Why do we need to go to the Caribbean? Do you, do you, do you get what I mean? So we, 
we went through this process that said this constant pursuit of success in inverted commas it can be harmful. It gives you choices. You know, material wealth gives you choices. Mm. Um, but you've got to be very careful that it also makes you happy. Because if you're not happy, I believe that that has a direct impact over your health, you know, your mental well-being. And, you know, those are things that you just can't drop. You know, you can drop buying another brand new car, but you can't, you can't drop your health and you can't drop your relationships because, mm. you know, they, they're going to last for life. So that was a huge revelation mm. for me. And then honestly realizing that there were a lot of really fantastic people in the world. <laughs> I mean, that's what, you know, the academy was built on a group of about 500 people that kind of all lent in to help me design it you know it was I only had the idea that's all I had I had the idea but the entire industry and c-suite just kind of lent in um, and lifted the idea right up and I was mind blown by how much generosity there is you know people are inherently human connectors you know we're all part of a tribe and I really didn't understand that I was very selfish as a as a manager going up through my career and I began to learn from the people around me that it was selflessness that was really going to make these things fly. So that was a big wake up call for me. And then of course I had to learn everything about marketing and marketing media and advertising because I you know in all honesty I knew sod all. <laughs> you know people are often surprised that I'm not a marketer. I am That wasn't your background. No, no, I'm not a marketer. I've never been a marketer. I've never worked in an agency. I didn't really know the agency landscape at all. Interesting. I remember sitting somebody down quite early on. He was a chairman of one of the big holding companies. And I said, what, what, what is this holding company thing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> everybody's talking about these holding companies. And I don't understand because yeah, what's it all about? what's the landscape and you know he'd go well you know in our group we've got like 300 operating companies and I'd go um isn't that one and that one a direct compete don't they compete with each other and he'd go yeah <laughs> they do and then we've got these Chinese walls and I was yeah. blowing my mind and he wrote it all out on a we were at dinner or lunch and he wrote it out on a napkin <laughs> you know like a Soviet thing yeah and he, he drew me out like who the main five holding companies were. And then, you know, there were all these other smaller independent groups and then there were totally independent. And I was on a real learning curve, didn't I? Bloody clue. So I knew the I knew the corporate marketing function much better because as a headhunter, I'd you know, done a lot of board work and CMO searches and what have you. So I knew that market, but I didn't know the agency landscape. So I had to go on a real learning curve um around that. And um fortunately the the whole industry kind of embraced us and 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 got behind us and trusted us that that you know we'd be able to build a platform whereby we could develop their top talent and you know the rest is history really so for those listening that aren't aware tell us a little bit more about the marketing academy who's involved who are the mentors who are the coaches tell us a little, little bit more about the context well so um, i'm going to try and make this tight because i could talk about the academy for hours and hours um so we operate in three countries so we're in the uk been in the uk for 10 years we've been in australia for six years we've been in the us for two years we actually do two different programs we run the scholarship program which is for emerging leaders so those in the upward curve of their career they're kind of um around well between five and 15 years experience and we point 30 scholars per year per country into what is effectively a nine-month development program 
So that's the scholarship. And we've got 580 alumni of that scholarship now all around the world. And then we also run a fellowship program, which is exclusively for CMOs. And that's a program we run with McKinsey. And that program is designed to enable CMOs to become CEOs. And we've got 140 alumni of that program. That's slightly smaller. We run it in EMEA and the US with a class size of 20 in both regions each year. So a total of 700 alumni across our programs. And we run alumni programs for all of them in all of the countries as well. So ongoing development. And then the academy itself delivers our learning. And why? one of the reasons why our programs are totally free, they're highly selective, but totally free, is because we're supported by 280 mentors around the world and 140 executive coaches and around 180 faculty speakers. So those who provide us with all of the learning and the knowledge. And our mentors around the world are either CMOs or their agency CEOs or their subject matter experts. And our executive coaches who work one-on-one with the cohorts are all um, executive coaches for a living. So they're not marketers. They are board level executive coaches mm. and they all gift their time to the academy. So the coaching alone over the last 10 years, executive coaches around the world have donated about two and a half million pounds worth of coaching to our 700 alumni around the world. Amazing. You know, our mentors all gift, every mentor gifts us about eight hours of their time. So every scholar and every fellow meets with around eight mentors during their nine month program. And that's personal face to face one on one. And some of our mentors have been with us for years and they are the, you know, the top of the tree. You know, most of the the um, people that are picked out in campaign 100 and, you know, the marketing week top marketers and, you know, the top people in the media industries around the world. Mm. Uh, all of the CEOs in the agency world are all, are all involved as mentors and they love it. Most mentors will tell us that they get more out of the mentoring than the scholars do. I don't actually think that's true, but if they feel that, that's okay. That makes me feel really good. Um, and everybody, and then our speakers, you know, this huge faculty of speakers, they all give their time and they're world-class speakers and they, they usually paid quite a lot of money, but they do it for us as a voluntary philanthropic give. So that's that's what we do in the academy. A number of questions off the back of this then. So how have you got so many senior leaders to give up their time for free, which they either could be charging for? I mean, you talked about the the philanthropic part of why they're doing it. And I guess when you reach a certain point in your career, there's that urge to to give back. But how did you convince so many people to give up their time for free? And then I've got another question once you um, once you answer that one. It wasn't as hard as anybody thinks it is um, in that I do believe that this generation of you know the current generation of world leaders in marketing media and advertising are supremely generous and really do understand that if they don't utilize their time to develop the talent coming up underneath them then we haven't got much of a future and so it wasn't as difficult as you'd think what I did is I went to you know half a dozen of the highest profile most connected people I could find and I invited them to join as mentors and once they joined you know, they started spreading the word amongst their own peer group and their own networks and communities. And, you know, within the first year, we had a waiting list for mentors. Um, so my my reason why it worked, it's twofold. Firstly, we don't charge for the program. Now, the, one of the reasons why that's so important 
is because we can quite simply say to any mentor or speaker or coach, we are not going to make money out of your time. Mm. So, you know, if a speaker speaks for a conference, that conference organizer is making money and therefore should be paying them a fee. Mm -hmm. So we were saying, we're not going to make any money. There's no commercial element here. It's, It's totally free. But without you, we have nothing. So that was, that was the first most important thing. The second most important thing was to ask for a small amount of time from a large number of individuals. So, you know, instead of going for 30 mentors and asking them for, you know, loads and loads of mentoring session, we went to 100 and asked them to mentor four scholars, you know, just hour and a half. So maximum of a day of their time spread over a year. And that's that's quite a neat ask. It's it's like not too much. It's enough for them to manage. It's enough for them to believe and feel that they're making a massive contribution, which they are. So our principle was go to a lot of them, get a big community of mentors, but ask for a small amount of time. And, you know, the whole thing rolled. And, you know, when we started in another country, so when we took it to Australia, so we had to start from scratch with the mentor community down there, we utilised the mentors that we had in the UK saying, introduce us to the best people you know in that region. Who should we be speaking to to invite them to be mentors? And it and it rolls really well every year. And our mentors love it. Some of them mentor for years. So um, it definitely works. What's been the best feedback that you've had from your alumni? I imagine it's a transformational experience having some of the best marketing leaders in the world as your coaches and and mentors. Mm -hmm. What's been the best feedback that you've heard? The most common feedback that we get from them is, ironically, the power of learning and relationships that they get with the rest of their cohort. (laughs) Mm. So people are attracted into the academy because there is quite a bit of sex and sizzle around the, uh, you know, the ability to have a a one-to-one meeting with Keith Weed, for example, and, you know, have some mentoring with people that are well-known in our industry, which is the reason why both companies and individuals are, are interested in nominating and applying for the programs. But actually, one of the biggest PowerPoints is, is in that group, is in that cohort. And our cohorts get so close so quickly, they, they are literally friends for life. You know, we've had two marriages. We've got a thoroughbred marketing academy baby. Really? Yeah, so we've got a baby of two academy <laughs> scholars. Um and Amazing. they lean on each other for the rest of their careers. I had an email this morning from one of my from one of my year one scholars. So that's 2010. So 10 years ago. And I had an email just this morning mm. telling me how powerful the Academy has been in her life for the last 10 years. Amazing. So, you know, regularly meeting up with her alumni. She's heavily involved in the alumni program, which is ongoing development. Um, she's made amazing connections throughout her career so she's still feeling the benefit of, of being an academy alumni 10 years on you know she was at our first class when actually we didn't know what we were doing i mean in that first year <laughs> we were figuring that out as we went along we we're making it up um, don't look but, don't look at the strings yeah no but that's that's the power the most common thing the most common words they'd use to describe it they all actually do find it quite hard to describe in that if you spoke to any alumni and said what's the marketing academy about they would go oh it's fantastic and you'd go yeah but just explain a bit more and they go oh my god i can't even put it into words <laughs> they they do find it very difficult to describe 
But the most common refrain is that it's life changing, mm. which is which is fine by me. <laughs> yeah. So life changing, career changing, mm. transformational. It's a life program. It's not a marketing training course. You know, we take them very, very deep. They look at all elements and aspects of their life. It's aimed at them growing as human beings. It's aimed at them growing as leaders. You know, it's it's quite profound. And they they'd all say, you know, some some variances on those kinds of words. And sometimes I've even had I, I remember when I set up in Australia, I actually had an email from someone who was in Australia who used to work for one of our UK scholars. And she emailed me saying, oh, my God, I'm so excited the Academy is coming to Australia because my boss went through the scholarship program and that changed my life. Wow. So the ripple effect, the ripple effect of yeah. learning, you know, goes so much wider than just a class size of 30. You know, they've got influence over, you know, 10 or 12 direct reports or peer group, and then they've got impact over people and in, influence over people in their lives. Yep. And the ripple effect of the learning is vast. I can testify to that because my bookshelf has grown significantly because Sharice has been <laughs> buying lots of different books from the, so, the different speakers and coaches. And so my reading agenda has totally been transformed. Um, and Sharice has been transformed as well. Like she's she's a very different person now, um, which is which kind of leads me to the next question about, well, on those occasions when people don't get the best out of it, what are some of the reasons for that? Because um, I imagine that not everyone sees it as a transformative experience. Maybe some people don't get what they should get out of it. What are some of the reasons when it doesn't go right? It isn't common, if I'm completely honest. We, you know, we do a lot of feedback sessions wow. with them and it's not, it's really not common. But, you know, it, I guess the way in which we teach isn't for everybody. It's very experiential and, you know, we take it quite deep. So if you're not prepared to really open up, either to yourself or to others, then that's going to limit the learning experience. If you're not prepared to commit the time, that's definitely going to impact on your learning experience. So we have had, we have had, you know, comments at the end of the program going, oh my God, I just, I just don't think I put enough time in and now I'm, you know, I'm kicking myself because I realized it was a once in a career opportunity. And, mm. you know, I just didn't put the time in because the scholarship particularly is about 15 days of time spread over the nine months. You know, that's not a light ask. And you've really got to be committed to prioritize your own learning over everything else. You know, we teach that that's the most selfless thing you can do, because if you are the best human you can possibly be and the best leader you can possibly be, then that's good for everyone all of your team, your peers, the people around you and your employer. But, you know, when business is tight and tough and, you know, your employer's putting a lot of pressure on you to deliver, making the choice to carve out time to get to mentoring sessions, to turn up for the executive coaching sessions, to come to the boot camps, to come turn up for the lectures, you know, that that's a choice. And if you don't make that choice up front, you're going you're gonna to miss out. So I think that those are probably the reasons why if they, if they haven't got the most out of it, they'll probably be why. Benchpress 2021 is now open. It is the largest survey of independent agency owners in the UK, and it's your chance to benchmark yourself against your peers. You'll receive a copy of the full benchmark results as a thank you for taking part. 
By taking part, you'll be able to compare yourself against your peers in several key areas, including hourly rates and profitability and sales performance. You'll also discover what the top performers do differently, insights that will have the power to transform your agency. The link to complete the survey is in the description. So I've got a couple of other questions about the Marketing Academy, but then we're going to talk a little bit about agency and leadership specifically, and especially what you said earlier about the pressure that agency owners sometimes put on their employees to to deliver. Mm. Um, but before we get into that, one of the other criticisms that I've heard of the Marketing Academy is that for all the good that it does, it hasn't obviously come without its its detractors, like like everything in the world. Some some people would say that the the academy isn't diverse enough, and and given all of the power of marketing and advertising and media that we've that we've spoken about, this year's cohort, for instance, has two black cohort members mm. out of thirty. How do you respond to that feedback? Well, it's true, and it's shit, and it needs to improve. Um, and it's particularly bad in the UK and Australia. It's really great in the States, must must say. You know, the two cohorts that we've had in the States have been fantastic from a diverse perspective. And, you know, I feel shit about it. And even in the early years, I couldn't understand why there weren't, we weren't getting black and people of colour nominated for the programmes. And mm. unfortunately, because of the construct of what we do, we can't control who's nominated, right? So we basically ask the industry sure. to nominate their best talent. Right. We then can manage the selection process, but we can't do that until all of the community's been nominated. And, you know, the number of people that get on the programme that are, for example, black, I can guarantee you that will be a direct replication of the number, the percentage of black black and people of colour who were being nominated. So that's crap. Mm. And I remember very early on in the first year, we didn't have any. And I remember spending some time with some agencies and I walked around one of the big agencies. I, I, I was walked around their agency by their group HR director. And I, I didn't see a black face in the whole agency, not one. I can still name mm. the agency, the big agency leaders who are black on one hand. Mm. And so I, re I started to realize how big a problem, it, it, it was a systemic problem across the whole industry. A marketing function is very white, very middle-class, very academic-based. You know, you've got to have come from the red brick universities. You've, you know, you've, probably the son or daughter of a wealthy parent who's, you know, pulled a few strings and the entry into agencies, which is normally unpaid internships, you know, that's carving out a huge swathe of talent, not just of colour, sure. but of, of underprivilege. Mm. And I was horrified by it, Nathan. I still am. It's better. It's improved because mm. we've shone more of a lens. The industry itself has shone more of a lens on it, right? So mm. it's it's trying to clean up its act, but it's not enough. And it's replicated in you know, our cohorts in the UK, which is outrageous. We need to do, as the academy, we need to do more to raise our profile within community groups where this talent might be sitting and maybe unaware of us. So that's something we're very keen to do. And we work with our cohorts every year to try and, try and do that. But it's systemic in the industry and it starts you know, at the youngest level. And so four years ago, we set up the Marketing Academy Foundation, totally separate charity to the Marketing Academy. 
And what the foundation does is it provides 12 months fully salaried apprenticeships for kids from challenged backgrounds. So it's for 18 to 24 year olds, those, and a lot of those are diverse, but it isn't just, you know, it's not just for people of color. It's for any hmm. young talent that just doesn't have that middle-class privilege that most of our industry has. And we work really hard with, with host companies where we place them. We run selection processes. We're raising our profile all of the time. And right now we've got 14 apprentices out on 12-month work experiences, fully salaried, because we feel the need to create change at that entry point. Because hopefully in 10 years' time, we won't even be having this conversation. Mm. If enough companies give these youngsters who haven't had the leg up, who haven't been able to afford to go to uni, you know, who haven't got wealthy parents that can tap up their networks to get into this incredible industry, which demands diversity within within the talent population. Mm. And at that point, four years ago, it was the only thing we could think of that could proactively begin to shift the problem to a solution but we still struggle we still struggle within the main academy our scholarship the fellowship nathan is even worse at cmo level it's even worse Mm. and we've got to be working better smarter sharper to ensure that we're uncovering where these where the talent is sitting in order that they get the sheer just the opportunity to apply for a place in the program Mm really interesting so we you know it's a that kind of criticism and and the criticism is valid but it's a criticism that i accept on behalf of the academy mm. and the whole industry because everybody within this industry needs to change to sort this issue mm. thank you for sharing that I, th- I think we can all hear the uh, the passion and, and and how much it means to you from your from your voice so thank you very much for for sharing that. Um, last few questions before we get into our, our favourite questions at, at the end of the interview. I can speak to you all day. I've got a million questions to ask. Um, <laughs> we need to get you back on the show. Oh, I'm totally up for that. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've got some really harsh words for agencies. So this is my favourite my favorite part. Uh, so you say, quote, agencies have an alpha culture. They create culturally toxic environments that's pretty uh <laughs> that's pretty harsh language what tell us what you really think <laughs> <laughs> i do actually think it's been changing i'm not quite sure when i said that i think i was interviewed down in australia um but uh, and i do think that it's shifting but and and a lot of what i feel about agencies i don't actually believe that is actually the agency's fault i think it stems from the client agency relationship you know that's the most toxic or can be the most toxic place um is that agencies are under enormous pressure enormous pressure in eroding margins exploding salaries to get the right kind of talent in and then when they get the talent in they have to work them to the bone in order to deliver under pressure (laughs) from their clients and so you kind of you know it's one part of me that goes well you know they need to survive i can't blame them but there's too much of it there's not enough investment in the talent there's not enough support given for their talent i think covid is changing this 
I believe that agencies all over the world are really responding and had been responding quite well to the need to support their employees through this. But, you know, 2020 was a terrible year for agencies having to lay off people, make them redundant, put them on furlough, change the organisation structure, because they were all believing that their revenue was going to walk out the door. Well, that kind of intensity of pressure creates a certain set of behaviours within the organisation. And if that set that creates certain behaviours and the beliefs of the employees in the business are going to be impacted likewise. So I do believe it's very hard for, for agency leaders to get the balance right between what's good for their business commercially and what's good for their business from a people perspective. But I also believe that without their people, they haven't got a business at all. Mm. And I, I believe that the work culture and from what I've seen in agencies around the world, some regions are different. And I actually think the UK is not quite as bad as Australia has been in the past, for example. It's like a really work hard culture, right? You know, I don't know a single agency out there that hasn't got a pitch that's under time constraint that, you know, will have people working until midnight. Well, it isn't acceptable and it certainly can't be the norm. You know, you cannot expect to burn people out. And unfortunately, it's agencies have had revolving doors you know where i don't know any agencies that have got really really long you know tenure with their people they do tend to rotate them quite quite quickly they don't have the margins to invest in some have fantastic development programs. I mean, WPP has an amazing development program all over the world. They, they do a really, really good job. They haven't all got the money, especially the smaller agencies. They just don't make enough margin to be able to invest thousands per head in developing the capability, the emotional wellness, the leadership capability of their people. Mm. So they don't get as much as, you know, a, a careerist within client side with the big brands who do make sure that they've got money to develop their people. The agencies are at the low, you know, they're lower down on the pecking order and therefore the revenues, uh, the profit margins are smaller. They can't invest that time. But I don't feel it's sustainable. And, you know, as if we're heading into another global recession, which is a possibility, agencies are going to work, have to work really, really hard to, to create the right kind of cultures of support and empowerment and, you know, development and inspiration for their people in order that, that their people stay with them and grow with them. So I have been quite hard on agencies on, in, in the past, um, but it's becoming better. I'm, I'm already seeing a lot of agencies leaning into this, putting talent really high up on their agenda, not just getting it, but developing it and keeping it and you know good on good on them because that's what that's what needs to happen but the c cmos the clients they need to take responsibility for some of this as well you know it is not acceptable for you to be putting your agencies under so much time pressure that they've got no choice but to push that pressure down into their employees it's not acceptable you know working collaboratively working much in partnership there are some fantastic examples of where organizations have done that so again, this isn't this isn't necessarily the norm, but it can be a thing. And you know, the CMO should, in my view, the best CMOs treat their agencies as if they are their own people. And you know, they are just as generous, just as collaborative with their agency suppliers as their own their own their own people. And that tends to be the you know success point of the client agency relationship. I just wish it was the norm. And I don't think I don't feel it's 
it's exactly the norm. And I know that because half of our scholars are agencies. So, you know, half of the 580 alumni that we have are in agencies of all different sizes and shapes, media agencies, creative agencies, holding group opcos and small and independent agencies. And we hear what they're having to face back in the workplace. If the leadership development at a C-suite level within an agency hasn't been exceptional, then there's no way that that organisation is going to thrive from a people perspective because the leader won't know enough about developing and creating the culture they need for their people to thrive. That's that's my view. That's where it comes from. And and how does the agency leader know that they have a toxic culture in the first place? I mean, they might be in a large agency, hundreds or even thousands of, of, of people. They may even be in a smaller independent agency, but because we're all in these virtual environments now, we're all working from home. How can you tell that you have a toxic culture and then once you've identified it, what do you do about it? What are the first steps that you put in place to start changing it? Well, you'll feel it because people will be leaving or performing under par. So, you know, if the agencies are just saying we're just not performing as a business then there's probably something wrong. I mean, I believe culture is everything, especially in an agency, because you've only got your people. Right. So you've got nothing if you haven't got the culture. Um, mm. And but what they can do about it is start to get start to get really up close and personal with people down, down, down the organisation. You know, the, the CEO should not just be talking to their own direct reports. They should be getting down and upfront and personal with the people down much down further in the organisation. They should be sharing the opportunity. They should be ensuring that there is an opportunity for people across the entire organisation to give really sound and valid feedback. Um, you know, they have to make sure that the people are bouncing into the office every day. They're not. They're not dreading it. Uh, they're not fearful of making a mistake. You know, they're allowed to make mistakes. Mistakes are embraced and encouraged because that's how they. You know how people learn. So get down with your people and ask them for honest feedback about what's going on within the agency. Um, you know, the hierarchies don't often allow that. And if the culture has been quite fear led, then it's unlikely that people are going to be talking the truth. And then you've got this ever, ever decreasing cycle of proactive communication and communication is is all. You know, but investing in your people, getting close to your people, really understanding them, sharing what's going on in the business with them and creating an environment in which, you know, they know that they can thrive is, is what you need to be doing. Invest in them. That's what you need to be doing. You just invest in them at every level. Absolutely love it. Sherilyn, I could speak to you about this all day, but we're fast running out of time. Let's let's get into everyone's favourite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. So super excited to ask you some of these as well. I'm going to pick some of these at random and fire them at you. Okay. Uh, first one, nice, easy one. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. I failed to set up a marketing academy in Dubai. I wanted to take it to the Middle East. I still do. I'm not taking it as a failure, actually, but I did fail to set it up. And it was definitely a goal. I just found it quite hard to really get under the skin of the way things are done in that region and you know the way that decisions are made in that region I found that quite difficult to navigate and so I actually felt like that was a failure and um, we we switched and went to, we took it to the US instead <laughs> um, and I am going to say we are definitely going to launch in the Middle East so it's not it's not over but you know that was that was a little bit of a failure mm. I guess the biggest failure of my life really is not realizing early enough that I could decide to follow my meaning and my purpose. And, you know, I failed to do that earlier on in my life. 
I failed to give myself the space to sit on a mountaintop and work out what is it I really love? What am I brilliant at? You know, what the, we teach Ikigai in the program, which is this, you know, life worth. It's your meaning, your life worth, the thing that you get up for mm. in the morning. And, you know, the Ikigai Venn diagram, which is now quite common, although it wasn't when we first started to use it, is just what's good for the world. What are you good at? What do you absolutely love? What can you be paid for? And if if you find something whereby those four different things meet, you know, you found your meaning and your purpose. And I, I often feel that if I'd given myself the space when I was in my 30s, to really think about whether I wanted the environment I'd created for myself instead of just sliding through it because I believed it was expected of me. I'm, I feel like I, could, I would have set up the academy so much earlier and so we would have started to have a big impact on the rest of the world, you know, sooner. Mm. Um, so, so that for me, that, you know, that was a fail. I had to nearly die to get there. And, and, I, and I made a, a point to myself to never allow anybody that was in my sphere of influence to have to nearly die before they understand that they've got some choices, <laughs> you know, because that they've got some choices and we've all got choices. Sure. We don't have to be victim of circumstance we can't control. We can choose the way in which we respond to it. So really getting that and not understanding that earlier, I think was a fail for me. Hmm. But actually, I'm not somebody that looks at failure in a, I don't even really call it failure you know I don't look at it as a bad thing I think it's a fabulous thing you know you can learn so much from the ashes you know the phoenix rises and you know it's an it's a knock but if you learn the muscle of resilience those knocks can be turned into the most powerful opportunities you could possibly have and that's how I now look at anything like that I don't don't really have a failure mindset absolutely love it tell us about some of your mentors um who influence your early life and career who are the mentors that you speak to now I mean you provide so many mentors to so many other people who are Sherilyn's mentors so I was really lucky quite early on in my recruiting career to to work for the then owner of the company I bought and he was um, so he was the owner and CEO of this big search firm and I was about 26 27 when I started working for him now he used to be the global CEO of Mars confectionery and I think he'd spent time as the global CEO of DHL before he kind of went into semi-retirement and bought an executive search firm uh, which a lot of people do a lot of C-suite executives spend so much on headhunters that they just think do you know what I could do that even better and make more money and I think that's where he was so he was in his 60s yeah he was in his 60s when I first met him but because it wasn't a massive organization I reported directly to him for about three-year period and oh my god what I learned and one of the biggest learnings for me was that I used to believe that I was the one coming up with all of the ideas for the business which meant that he was a bit shit right I I guarantee I swear (laughs) to god there was this time in my arrogant youth that I thought what the what does he do? You know, what does he do for a living? I'm running this thing. I'm making all the decisions. He just takes all the money. It's he, all yeah, my he ideas. Just, he just yeah, takes I've been and there. It, and it wasn't until a few years later that what I realised that he was actually the best leader I'd ever worked for before and since, because what he created was an environment that empowered me to make the decisions that total that inspired me to be the best I could be because. I wanted to please him and impress him, that he allowed me 
to come up with the decisions and choices and then empowered me to own the solutions. And it wasn't until a good few years later, well, I, in fact, probably the first year of the marketing academy, that I thought, oh my God, he was one of the best leaders I could ever, ever have worked for. And I wrote him a letter. He would have been in his 80s when he got it. And I wrote him a letter saying, I need to thank you for enabling me to fly because that's what fantastic leaders do. And that's what you did for me. And he gave me so much self-worth and confidence that, you know, he made me who I was. But I, and I, but I didn't realize it at the time. You know, they say, I heard this quote that said, of the best leaders, the people say we did it for ourselves. Mm. And that for me is what this man did for me. Um, so he, he was Love like it. a real mentor. I learned shed loads. I mean, I learned how to run a company and I learned how to run a company like Mars do. Amazing. So, you know, I was working for this tiny little executive search firm, but I got the input that you would get from the CEO of Mars. So there was that. And then now the person who's closest to me is Penny Ferguson, who runs the Living Leader Programme, which is the programme we embed, the Living Leader Programme is embedded in the scholarship. Mm-hmm. And uh, she is a kind of global guru. She's 76 years old. She's my best friend. She's my mentor. She, I adore her. And, you know, she will still now challenge me on my thinking. Um, she is somebody that I will always be able to call and say, I'm thinking this through. Have I done this, you know, did I handle this right? What could I have done better? Um, and she'll always give me the honest truth. And then I'm very, very privileged, and I totally see this. I get to see all of the speakers that speak in the fellowship and the scholarship. Mm. So I am on like, I'm on like a learning journey, for, you know, times a thousand, because I will learn from every single one of them every month every year and many of them have become really close friends many of the people that surround the academy fortunately have become really close friends and they're all my guides you know for different reasons i'll go to to all of them and they'll all give me the time so that's that's how that's how it works for me now constantly learning absolutely love it tell us about some of your favorite books what do you read for personal development professional development what books have been most instrumental in the way that you see your life i'm a bit shit about reading books <laughs> and that's because i don't have a huge amount of time to read books i you know i could just fill my entire life with like kind of self-help and personal development books. but the first book i ever read that completely changed how i led is an old book because obviously i'm old and it's called maverick and it's by a guy called ricardo semler mm. a, Bra- a brazilian um CEO. Mm -hmm. And he wrote this book, Maverick. Manufacturing company. Yes, yes. And Mm -hmm. he wrote this book, Maverick, that completely changed everything about the way I led. I'd have been in my 30s, I guess my very early 30s when I read that. And it kind of completely transformed my view of how businesses run. So I absolutely loved that book. Now I will read anything by Brené Brown, anything she ever does, I will read. (laughs) Brilliant. Dare to lead. Uh, all of them rising vulnerability yeah all brilliant everything yeah everything and then I loved uh Elizabeth Day's How to Fail loved that book I interviewed her a few months ago and um and I got the book she does a podcast called How to Fail um and she's written the books that's a really good one as well so they're my favorites okay tell us the most interesting thing that people don't know about Sherilyn Shackle 
Well, many people don't know that I'm not a marketer, right? They, they just don't know. They, they, people just think I am a marketer and I'm not, I'm not a marketer. That's false and, advertising. And then, and then the other the thing. The marketing academy. Yeah. And then the other thing that surprises people is that people have a perception that I'm an extrovert. And that's because I'm, I'm on stage a lot. I'm big girl. So I kind of like fill a room. <laughs> literally and um, and I'm I, and I love talking to people and I get very passionate what have you um actually I'm an extroverted introvert oh. so I would far rather you won't you won't see me at parties if I can do anything to get out of it if I do I will be the first to leave and I'll leave very discreetly and I work, can't bear to make a show like leaving. But actually, you know, of all I can get to, I could go. I'm invited to some amazing stuff. I mean, I'm really lucky. But I'm, I prefer just sitting on my sofa with my slippers on, with a cup of tea, and my family around me. So I'm actually much, much more introverted than I am extroverted. Love it. Amazon Prime or Netflix? What are you watching or streaming that's good? Well, I'm only Netflix. I've got Amazon Prime, but I get very confused over what I have to pay for and what I don't. So Netflix is my go-to. My absolute favourite was The Queen's Gambit. I could have watched it five times over completely and utterly loved it. House of Cards. House of Cards. Loved every single thing on House of Cards. (laughs) So I am a big Netflix fan. Interesting. Okay, last couple of questions and then I'll I'll let you go. What advice would you give to a young person or millennial who wants to start their career in a big marketing agency or start their career in marketing in general? Get yourself some mentors. So find them, start following the movers and shakers within the industry. Start following them, start messaging them, start interacting with them, start getting yourself some mentors. Uh, Invest in yourself. Make sure that you're doing as much learning as you can. It's nobody else's responsibility to, to develop you but yourself. So you, there's so much free stuff out there right now. You know, get yourself in the School of Marketing. One of my alumni runs, founded and runs the School of Marketing. Really cool, fantastic uh, resource for youngsters to get into, into our industry. But there's loads of stuff. You know, watch TED Talks. Really proactively invest time in yourself as if you were, you know, a product and you want to make sure that this product is the best it can possibly be. So do some research, get some mentors, start investing in learning, as much learning as you possibly can. But if you get people around you within the industry, they'll start making things happen for you. You know, get some champions and some supporters and some mentors to help you through. And those mentors can help you through your entire career. And my final question, Sherilyn, what is it you know about leadership and personal development today that you wish you knew 30 years ago, right at the beginning of your career? I wish I knew that it was about other people and not about me. I I honestly believed that leadership was a position of power. And therefore, as soon as you assumed it, you know, as soon as you got the job title, that, you know, you were automatically going to be respected and followed and you know you're automatically going to get all the accolades that 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 brings with it. it leadership is not about you it is about all of the other people around you and I wish I'd known that earlier on because I was pretty brutal earlier on in my career very self-focused and I wish I'd known earlier that it was about being outwardly focused and focused on what you can give to your people not what your people can do for you and that was the biggest learning I had and everything really stemmed from that. Hmm. Thank you so much for doing this. That's been absolutely phenomenal. 
Absolute pleasure. We have been speaking with Sherilyn Shackle. She is currently the founder and global CEO of the Marketing Academy. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over a hundred such conversations we've had now with world-class marketeers and leaders. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Annie Barber. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Christoph Blaschek is our booker slash project manager. Marion Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. Benchpress 2021 is now open. It is the largest survey of independent agency owners in the UK, and it's your chance to benchmark yourself against your peers. You'll receive a copy of the full benchmark results as a thank you for taking part. By taking part, you'll be able to compare yourself against your peers in several key areas, including hourly rates and profitability and sales performance. You'll also discover what the top performers do differently, insights that will have the power to transform your agency. The link to complete the survey is in the description. Thank you for listening to the Agency Deal Masters podcast. The show would not be possible without your support. So if you're even remotely enjoying any of the content that we have here, then we would really appreciate a rating and review because it helps other people find the show, which helps us grow, which means that we can keep giving you even better content with awesome guests, which means that you can enjoy even more success in your career. So please head over to Apple Podcasts now on your phone and give us a rating and review. Thank you.